Hello and welcome to the Life Enchanted Podcast. We're on a mission to optimize our lives through faith, health, wisdom, and much more. Thank you for joining us on our journey. Here now is our host, Nick Carlisle. What is good, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. As always, my name is Nick Carlisle. And I have the pleasure of being your host as we work together to optimize our lives through any means possible. This episode is brought to you by MyLifeEnchanted.com, which is my newly released website where you can find all things related to the Life Enchanted movement. I have my blog on there that I post to frequently. You can sign up for my email newsletter on there for exclusive content. You can connect to my social media accounts, check out some healthy snack recipes, visit the Creation Admiration Store and find out how you can help support what I'm doing through Patreon. There's a lot more on there as well. The website is constantly being updated and improved, and if you've liked any of the podcast episodes thus far, it's highly likely that you'll enjoy the content that is on there, especially the blog and the email newsletter. Also, please leave a rating and possibly a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Your feedback helps other people discover the show and join the movement. For this episode, you are probably going to need to get out your notebook because Dr. Tom O'Brien from thedoctor.com is here to drop some serious knowledge regarding brain health, disease, aging, pregnancy, wheat, gluten, autoimmunity, nutrition, the gut microbiome, and a lot more. This man has quite the extensive bio and I was very fortunate to have him on the podcast. When it comes to getting healthy, Dr. Tom's goal for you is making it easy to do the right thing. As an internationally recognized, admired, and compassionate speaker focused on food sensitivity, environmental toxins, and the development of autoimmune diseases, Dr. Tom's audiences discover that it is through a clear understanding of how you got to where you are that you and your doctor can figure out what it will take to get you well. Dr. O'Brien is considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and teaches that recognizing and addressing the underlying mechanisms that activate an immune response is the map to the highway towards better health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. Dr. O'Brien's most recent book, titled You Can Fix Your Brain, Just One Hour a Week to the Best Memory, Productivity, and Sleep You've Ever Had, was published in September 2018 to Global Accolades. This bestseller offers a step-by-step approach to better cognitive function, from nutrition to environment to toxicity, ultimately creating better long-term memory and a sharper mind. In November 2016, Dr. O'Brien released a docu-series titled Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution They're Not Telling You, which is an investigation into why our immune system designed to protect us begins attacking our own tissue called autoimmunity. Currently, over 500,000 people worldwide have watched that docuseries, and you can find it at www.betrayaldocumentary.com. His 2016 groundbreaking book and winner of the National Book Award also ranked number one in several categories on Amazon.com called The Autoimmune Fix outlines the step-by-step development of degenerative diseases and gives the tools to identify our disease process years before the symptoms are obvious and how to turn your health around. 
He is the founder of www.thedoctor.com and the visionary behind The Gluten Summit, A Grain of Truth, bringing together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide range of symptoms and ages. You can find this info at www.theglutensummit.com. Last but not least, Dr. Tom was kind enough to provide us with a free resource, which I will link to in the show notes. It's called Dr. Tom's Pantry Essentials and is an organized list of anti-inflammatory and brain-boosting foods that Dr. Tom recommends. So definitely check that out. It's a nice graphic uh, PDF that he provided, so look for that link in the show notes. And with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Tom O'Brien. Yeah, can you just share with the listeners where you are right now? I thought you were in California, but it turns out it's much different than that. We're in northern Italy, um, uh, a little bit outside of a lake called Garda. Mm. Uh, there's a town called Riva de Garda, uh, where the river comes into the lake, Riva River to the lake, Garda. And uh, uh, it's a beautiful place. And uh, I'm sitting here looking at the Dolomite Mountains in the background. They're still snow-covered, and so it's just <laughs> spent vines everywhere, grapevines, uh, vineyards uh, on the horizon. Uh, it's r- magical here. That's amazing. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you, man, because I have a ton of questions about things that you are definitely an expert in. Um, but I first want to want to dive into brain health, which which seems appropriate considering the recent release of your book titled "You Can Fix Your Brain." Um, and my my first question is, what are the signs of a healthy brain? Oh, the signs of a healthy brain are, are when a person has no attention on their brain function. It's just normal and natural that they're sharp. You know, they come up with the ideas, the thoughts that they're trying to access. They remember where their keys are. They remember where they park the car in the parking lot. Uh, uh, there's just no attention on your brain. Mm. Nobody puts attention on their kidneys. You know, you, you shouldn't put attention and make excuses for your brain. Uh, and when we do, we're, we try to rationalize or uh, somehow accept that it, well, it's not really too bad. Kind of that line of thinking, you know? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. What, what I often say is that um, everyone knows someone that had a heart attack and survived and got scared, so they changed their diet, started exercising, and they look better than they've looked in years. <laughs> and most of us know someone that had cancer and went through therapy, and they put in remission, and they're doing great. But no one knows anyone diagnosed with brain deterioration that's doing great, mm. um, that it, it terrifies us because we think we're helpless and the purpose of this book is for people to understand you're not helpless. You just have to recognize what's the triggers causing the brain dysfunction, which eventually progresses into brain dis-ease, which eventually progresses into brain disease, and what are the triggers? So the concept that I give for this is when you go to see a doctor and you're diagnosed and you've, and you've been feeling it, then you've got depression or you've got a little bit of memory loss, or you feel like your brain's not working on all eight cylinders. You know, I'm, I'm from Detroit originally, so I'm a car guy, so I use <laughs> car analogies. Um, so you know, when, when you go to a doctor and you get a diagnosis of depression or anxiety or uh, cognitive memory loss, uh, um, it's like you've fallen over a waterfall 
and you've crashed into the pond below and you swim up to the surface and thank God I'm okay. And you're (laughs) trying to stay afloat in the pond of depression Mm. or the pond of memory loss. And you're, you're trying to stay afloat, but it's really hard to stay afloat because the water call, waterfall keeps falling into the pond, mm. you know, you're, and, and the water's really turbulent. You're living the lifestyle that caused the problem. So the waterfall keeps falling into the pond of depression. And so we're all looking for a life jacket to stay afloat in the pond that we live in. And it's really important to have a life jacket. Don't drown. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you need drugs, you take the drugs, but you don't stay in the pond. Once you've got the life jacket on so you're stable, you swim over to the side of the pond, get out of the water, Mm. walk up the hill and walk back up the river to figure out what fell in the river that carried me downstream and I fell into the pond of depression Mm. or or I fell into the pond of memory loss. Uh, it, It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, the concept. And in medicine, we call it going upstream. You have to go back upstream to figure out what happened? What fell in there? Do you have high mercury levels in your brain because you've been eating too much tuna fish and all tuna's got mercury now? Or do you have too much lead because you live near the wind currents that are carrying the lead over from the coal-burning uh, factories that are in the state next door to you? And the lead's falling down as part of the particulate matter in the air. Do you live near a freeway, which increases the incidence of attention deficit and autism Mm -hmm. if you live near a freeway? You know, so you have to figure out what is it that's causing the problem. And that's why the book, You Can Fix Your Brain, is number one in seven categories on Amazon. It's because it covers the concepts of going back upstream in a way that just makes sense to people. Mm. Mm, that's so good. What what is occurring with the whole living? Because I've I've heard different people speak about that. The whole proximity to a freeway. What's going on there? It's called particulate matter, PMs. And when they measure air pollution, it's how many uh, parts per million of PM is there of particulate matter. And the closer you are to where there's a lot of traffic the more particulate matter there is in the air, and you breathe it in. Mm. You inhale this stuff. And when you inhale this stuff, it goes, you see, our nerves of smell are the only nerves in the body that go directly back to the memory center of the brain with no interruption. Every other nerve that goes into the brain, especially to the memory center, has some interruption. They're safeguards so that things can't creep along on the nerves except your nerves of smell. It's called the olfactory nerves. And they go right back to your memory center. And why is that? It's because we have the exact same body as our ancestors thousands of years ago. We have the same kidneys. They work the same. We have the same immune system. We have the same breathing. We have the same uh, olfactory or sense of smell. And why did these nerves go directly back, directly to the memory center without interruption? Because... If your ancestor is walking down the trail and they smell saber-toothed tiger, mm. they better turn around really quick. And so, or if they grab some food, the first thing they always did was smell the food. Uh, because, and you have to identify really quick, is this safe or not? Because if you start eating it because you're hungry and it's poisonous or 
it's got a lot of bad bacteria, it's not good for you. And so our sense of smell has to give us an immediate response as to what's in our environment. Yeah, I've totally and, experienced and, that. Yeah. And so when you, when you start losing your sense of smell, it's an indicator. And there are 17 what are called longitudinal studies, which means they start at one point and f they follow people for years and years and years, longitudinal. And, and 17 studies that show when you're beginning to lose your sense of smell, it's a biomarker of preclinical Alzheimer's. Hmm. So when you're starting to lose your sense, that's why there's a great test. It's on my website. If you go to thedr.com, thedoctor.com, just don't spell the word doctor out, thedr.com forward slash smell. I put five studies there so people can read about this. And then here's the smell test. And you do the smell test and it gives you a sense, especially for those people who have a family history of cognitive decline or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or schizophrenia, any of those types of brain deterioration diseases. Uh, if you have a concern, if you're vulnerable to this, you do the smell test. Because the smell test is like the temperature gauge in your car. Mm. There's two ways to measure the temperature in the engine of your car. In most cars, a hot light comes on. Hot light comes on too late. Pull over. Yeah. You're going to blow up the engine. But in other cars, they have temperature gauges. And you can see the temperature gauge slowly start to climb towards the red zone, which gives you an opportunity to do something about it before you're overheating. Mm. before you kill off so many brain cells that you've got memory loss. And that's what the smell test is. It's a way of identifying, is there something cooking right now that I'm not aware of? And that's why I can't find my keys every once in a while or, you know, whatever. That's why I get depressed once in a while. I mean, it's a simple, easy test. If it comes back positive, that then motivates you to say, okay, I really need to spend some time and look into this and see what's going on. Because this is an inexpensive, very accurate screen of what's going on in the memory centers of your brain, targeting specifically the brain. I mean, there's nothing like it, you know. And to give you a sense of how important this test is, you know, I, um, my favorite patients are those that come from Mayo Clinic and they say, I've been to Mayo and they don't know what's wrong. And I say, that's great. That's really great. Congratulations. And they, they look at me like I'm a nutcase, you know. But then I say, that means you don't have a disease. Because if you had a disease, Mayo Clinic would find it. Mm. You've, you've got dysfunction. So let's see what's not functioning right. The tests we're going to do are not the tests you've already had done. They already did those. You don't have a disease. We're going to find out what's not functioning right that occurs before you kill off so many cells now you get a diagnosis of a disease. And that's what this smell test is. It's a biomarker, uh, an early indicator of a problem going on. So for anyone that has that concern, it's a simple, easy, done in five minutes test that you can do. That's very, very interesting. So besides these PMs, which, which I'm assuming have, have a negative impact on smell, what are some other things that are common that you've found that are having a negative impact on someone's smell? Oh, phthalates. Phthalates. What are those? Uh, phthalates are chemicals that use to mold plastic. Hmm. So uh, when you drink out of plastic water bottles, 
especially when you can taste a little bit of the bottle. You know, that's phthalates. Uh, 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 nail polish mm. is high in phthalates. And those phthalates are in your bloodstream in three to five minutes when you put them on your nails. You have to find organic phthalate-free nail polish. It's not hard. Mm. You just have to look for it. And the more you put this toxic crud in your body, the more it accumulates and the more likely damage occurs. Here's an example. They took 326 pregnant women. And in the eighth month of pregnancy, they did urine tests on them and measured their phthalate levels. They measured five phthalates. Now, everyone uh, in the U.S. has phthalates in their urine. Everyone does. And I'm not exaggerating. Every newborn child in America today has at least 200 toxic chemicals in the umbilical cord blood at birth 200 mm. and many of them and none of those chemicals are supposed to be there and many of them are brain neurotoxins they affect brain development brain growth and brain function here's an example 326 pregnant women eighth month of pregnancy Urine tests on phthalate levels, and they only measured five phthalates. There's hundreds of them, but they measured the top five. One of them is bisphenol A or BPA that you've heard about with mm -hmm. water bottles and mm -hmm. lids on coffee cups and coffee shops, things like that. And they categorize the results in four categories. The lowest level of phthalates, the next level of phthalates, the third higher level of phthalates, and then the highest level of phthalates. And then they followed these children, the offspring of the pregnant women, for seven years. And at seven years old, they did IQ tests on all of these kids. What did they find? Every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates in her urine in pregnancy compared to the children whose mothers were in the lowest quartile of phthalates in pregnancy, every child in the highest level their IQ was on average seven points lower than the other kids. Wow. Seven point. Now, one point is noticeable. Seven points is the difference between a kid working really hard and getting straight A's and a kid working really hard and getting straight C's. Mm. That these kids do not have a chance to function at their God-given potential. They don't have a chance because mom had high phthalate levels in the urine during pregnancy, affecting the development of baby's brain. Wow. Un That's nail polish. <laughs> Unfortunately That's for me, my pregnant wife, this is a true story, my pregnant wife had a pedicure yesterday, so I'm going to have to have to talk with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, that's that's the plastic chairs in the kitchen. That's the plastic blinds on the windows. That, because all these things outgas into the air. There's little fragments of phthalates in the air. You can't see them. You can't taste them. You can't smell them. But they're there. Mm -hmm. The more plastic in your life, the higher the phthalates in your urine. Mm. The higher the phthalates in the urine, the more toxic to your brain. How about other um, self-care products or hygiene products like deodorant, shampoo, conditioners, body soaps? What should, be, what should we be looking for in those? You know, that's a really good question. And the answer is, if you read the label and you can't understand it, don't use it. Mm. Because uh, we, we've known for 30 years about aluminum chlorhydrate. It's the most common ingredient in deodorants. 
because it plugs up your pores and so you can't breathe under your arms and so you stop sweating. Well, aluminum chlorhydrate is absorbed into body. Just go to Google and type in aluminum and Alzheimer's <laughs> and you see hundreds of studies. Mm. So it's not that your deodorant is giving you Alzheimer's, but it's the accumulation of all of these toxic chemicals we're exposed to. That is the primary mechanism why diabetes is going up, heart disease is going up, Alzheimer's is through the roof. In the last 15 years, there's been a 123% increase in deaths from Alzheimer's in the last 15 years. 123% increase, 1% decrease in breast cancer, 7% decrease in prostate cancer, and most diseases decrease in deaths from many of our chronic diseases, but Alzheimer's increase 123%. It's getting worse and worse and worse. The Alzheimer's Association just came out recently with a statistic that one in three elders now die of dementia. One in three. Wow. Now, that's startling. That's just, that's like, what? Mm -hmm. What? And we're all blindly going along, still you know, doing all this silly stuff we do because, well, we've always used aluminum foil. Now, when you read the book, you understand that when you use aluminum foil, it breaks down in cooking and the stuff gets in your food. Mm. Or if you store your food in plastic containers, the next day, that stored chicken, leftover chickens, got phthalates in it from the plastic containers. And there's no study anywhere that says the amount of phthalates leaching from plastic containers getting into food is toxic to humans. There's no study that says that. And that's how the, the industry gets away with it. Mm. But, it's, but it's the accumulation of these. How many times do you put nail polish on? Well, not you, but your wife. Yeah. How many times do you put nail polish on? How many times a month? And how many months in a year? And how many years are you doing that? Mm -hmm. it's, and how many times do you use shampoo? that's got phthalates in it? And how many times do you use lipstick that's got phthalates in it? And how many times do you eat foods that have mercury in it? We're just not aware. We're blindly going ahead with the convenience of living our lifestyle. And never before in the history of humanity have we had newborn children with over 200 toxic chemicals in their bloodstream at birth. We have no way of protecting our bodies from this. You know, these kids, you, know, you, you wonder why aut autism is going through the roof? I mean, when I came in practice, it was one in 10,000. Now it's one in 64. Wow. And it's estimated in the next 25 years, it'll be one in two. Oh, my goodness. Just read the science. Just read the science. We're blindly going. So here's, here's a study that will help uh, no matter what your age bracket is because it gives you a sense of all this. In Finland. They commissioned, the government formed a commission, should we recommend women not breastfeed in a first pregnancy? It's like, what? What? What's that about? <laughs> well, in Finland, they eat a lot of fish. The fish come from the fjords, which are long and narrow. Mm -hmm. The farmers in those countries around there have been using insecticides and pesticides and DDT and antibiotics on their crops for 40 years. The rain washes the insecticides and pesticides and chemical residue into the streams. The streams go into the rivers. The rivers go into the fjords. 
The fjords are full of insecticides, pesticides, DDT, PCBs. The fish have insecticides, pesticides, DDT, PCBs. But there's no study that says the amount of insecticides and pesticides in fish is toxic to humans. There's no study that says that. Mm -hmm. But they eat a lot of fish, two, three times a week, 20 years, 25 years. So let's take a woman now who's 28 years old. She gets married and she gets pregnant, really looking forward to doing a family. You know, hopefully it's a healthy pregnancy. And just before delivery, the brain says, okay, breasts, time to start making some milk, time to start lactation because that baby's coming soon. So mom's breasts start making milk. Where does the milk come from? The milk comes from the fat cells of the breast. Where do these toxic chemicals go? These toxic chemicals are called endocrine disrupting chemicals, meaning hormone disrupting chemicals. Mm -hmm. And they bind onto the cells that love hormones, like your testes, your breasts, the ovaries, the uterus, the brain that love estrogen and the testes that love testosterone. So now mom, who mom to be, who for 28 years has been eating fish, accumulating minor amounts of PCBs and DDTs and insecticides and pesticides in her breast. That's a primary place where they get stored is in the fat cells of the breast. Where does the milk come from? Where's the raw material for the milk? It's the fat cells of the breast. Mm. So now here comes mom's milk loaded with these toxic chemicals, completely loaded at toxic levels to babies because it's been concentrating for 28 years in this example. Wow. That's why this, the, the commission was looking at, should we breastfeed in a first pregnancy? Because after the first pregnancy and you breastfeed, you flushed out, you detoxed your breast. <laughs> so the, the, the rest of the kids will be fine. <laughs> is that why my first kid is so crazy? Well, <laughs> that's no joke. That's no joke. There, there may be insane. some association. Yeah, yeah. And so... Now, and so the commission came out and said, no, no, we think it's more important to breastfeed than not breastfeed. And I personally agree with that concept. However, in our world, all women of childbearing age detox their breasts before they get pregnant. Get that crud out of there so that you can help your future baby have the best shot at getting straight A's because their brain's working really well and not loaded with phthalates and pesticides and insecticides how does how does a female detox her breast that's a whole chapter in the book okay sweet we'll have to read that (laughs) that's that's super fascinating and interesting you're dropping some some knowledge bombs here what what are some it's go ahead it's it's critically important that this world wake up Mm -hmm. just go to the alzheimer's association website and look at what they're saying one in three seniors dies from dementia one in three that means likely in a couple one of the two of you likely is going to have that happen it's not somebody down the street Mm -hmm. i mean this is an epidemic that we are blind to we're just completely blind to it we're trying to ignore it you don't ignore it you learn how to protect your family how do you protect your family if you live near a freeway you get air filtration systems in your house. Mm-hmm. And where, where do you put the air filtration system? Where do you spend the most time? In the bedroom. And, well, what bedroom? Yours and your children's. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford to get a whole house air filtration system, 
you get the portable ones that will cover a bedroom, and you get two of them. So that at least for the primary part of the day that you're home, seven, eight hours in the bedroom, that air is squeaky clean. Yeah. What are some other things in 2019, just some common kind of universal things that are that are really having a, a big negative impact on overall brain health for us? Oh, and I know that's common, loaded. Right, right. The most common trigger, by far, the most common trigger is what's on the end of your fork. Mm. What you choose to eat has a direct association with brain health. And the most common food that uh, uh, a majority of the studies are on is wheat. Mm. No human, no human uh, gets by without damage from wheat, whether you feel it or not. There's something called loss of oral tolerance. And when you lose tolerance, see, wheat misses patient. Your intestines are a tube. The tube is 20, 25 feet long, starts at the mouth, goes to the other end. It's one big, long tube. And if you could imagine this tube, it's like a donut. And if you could stretch the donut out 20, 25 feet and look down the center of the donut, that's your digestive tract. Mm -hmm. It's a big tube. When you swallow food, food is not in your body yet. It's in the tube. Mm -hmm. It's got to be broken down into really small particles that get through the walls of the donut into the bloodstream. Well, how does the body control all of that? the inside of the tube is lined with cheesecloth. And so only really small molecules can get through the cheesecloth to get into the bloodstream. So when you eat food, it's way too big to go into the bloodstream. And our digestive enzymes have to, they act like scissors to a pearl necklace. Mm. And they snip, 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 until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace, which goes right through the walls of the intestines into the bloodstream, right through the cheesecloth. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get tears in the cheesecloth, if you get tears in the cheesecloth, and wheat causes tears in the cheesecloth every time you eat it to every human. There are many studies on this. You just have to read the science. You go, what? Mm. Every human gets tears in the cheesecloth. The technical term for it is pathogenic intestinal permeability. Every is that human, leaky gut? That's leaky gut. Mm -hmm. The slang term is leaky gut. Mm -hmm. Every human gets leaky gut every time they eat wheat. But Mrs. Patient, you have an entire new body every seven years. Every cell in your body regenerates. Every cell. Some cells are really quick, like the inside of your guts every two to three days. Mm. Some cells are very slow, like brain cells, bone cells are slow, but they regenerate. So the inside of your gut's really quick. So you eat toast for breakfast, you tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. You eat a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. Pasta for dinner, you tear the lining of the gut, but it heals. A cookie tears the lining of the gut, but it heals. Day after week after month after year, until you don't heal anymore. When you don't heal anymore from wheat tearing the lining of your gut, that's called a loss of oral tolerance. When you lose tolerance to this, now you get the leaky gut, and now these big molecules get into the bloodstream before they've been broken down small enough to go through the cheesecloth. They get through the tears in the cheesecloth. They're called macromolecules, big molecules. Now your immune system says, what the heck is this? 
This is not something I can use to make a new brain cell or a new bone cell. I better fight this. Mm -hmm. Now you make antibodies to fight that food. Now you have food allergies. And that's the person that does a 90-food panel to see what they're sensitive to. And it comes back, they're sensitive to 20 different foods. <laughs> oh, my God, that's everything I eat. Yeah. Well, of course it is. Of mm -hmm. course it is. Your immune system's trying to protect you. There's nothing wrong with your immune system. It's trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. Heal the tears of the cheesecloth. Heal the leaky gut, and you're fine. Wait six months and then test again. Now you're sensitive to two foods, maybe three. Mm. Is it is it gluten that's in the wheat that's causing these tears in the cheesecloth? Or, or is it are, other? There are 62 oh, different wow. components in wheat that may tear the cheesecloth. Gluten is the most common one. Mm -hmm. By far, it's the most common, but it's not the only one. So you can't just test for gluten. You have to have more thorough testing. than because. And your doctor, does, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll check you for sensitivity to wheat. And they check you for gluten. If it comes back positive, you got a problem. Mm. But if it comes back negative, it doesn't mean you don't have a problem with wheat. Yeah. It means you don't have a problem with gluten. It may be the wheat amylase trypsin inhibitors or the gluteomorphins or the wheat germaglutinins, the lectins in wheat. Uh, it, there are many different components. You need to do a thorough test. And the only test that is comprehensive and thorough that's out there now is called the wheat zoomer hmm. uh, because you zoom in on the problem. And uh, that you, you can learn more about that test at my site, thedoctor.com. Mm -hmm. Just go to the dr.com and go to the section on tests and download the information on the wheat zoomer. Take it to your doctor and say, I want this test done. And if they say, no, we can't do that, we'll do our test, don't do their test. Order the test from us and yeah. get it done. But get that test done because that's the one that gives you the most information. Is that a immunoglobulin test or? That is correct. It looks at three different immunoglobulins, IgG, IgA, and IgM. Mm. How about tests? What are your thoughts on tests like Everly Well? Are you familiar? I don't know what that is. So Everly Well is a, it's kind of like 23andMe in that they mail you um, something to prick your blood with. And I'm not sure like their yeah. fasting requirements or anything, but then you send back a little blood sample and then they test your IgG levels and then um, give you a panel of, of foods that you should avoid. Does that sure. sound accurate to you? Because I know it's, it's no. okay. No. Can you explain? And, th and this is why. Yeah, you bet. If you go to an allergist, he does skin prick testing. And skin prick testing um, looks at IgE. E is an Edward. And there are five different immunoglobulins, IgG, IgM, IgA, IgE, and IgD. There are five different ones. So allergists look at IgE with skin prick testing, and they may also do a blood test for IgE, but they look at IgE. That's an important thing to look at because that's the one uh, that can cause really severe reactions like anaphylaxis. Uh, you know, kids with peanut allergies that can, go, that can stop breathing. Uh, that's really mm -hmm. serious, and, mm -hmm. uh, anaphylaxis. Uh, and IgE is the mechanism that that occurs by. Mm -hmm. So it's important. You know, it's important to look at that. But when allergists do skin prick testing and it comes back and says, no, you're negative to wheat. It's okay to eat wheat. Wrong answer. All they can say accurately is you do not have an IgE reaction to wheat. And if you ask the doctor, well, doctor, what about IgA or IgG? Well, 
why are you asking me that? Well, aren't there different branches of the immune system? Aren't there different immunoglobulins that can cause a problem? Mm. Well, yes. Well, why didn't we test the other branches of the immune system? You know, your immune system is the armed forces. It's yeah. there to protect you. There's an army, a navy, a coast guard, a marines, air force. So IgE is the air force. And they do a test that comes back negative. Well, that's good because that means no risk of anaphylaxis. But all that says is the Air Force hasn't been called out. What about the Marines? Well, I don't know. We didn't check the Marines. But mm -hmm. the doc will never say that to you. But they didn't check the Marines. What about the Army, IgG? Well, I don't know. We didn't check the Army. Or if you check the Army, IgG, and you do a 90-food panel, the pin pr pin prick test that you're referring to, it's probably a good test. I'll talk to you in a minute about how do you tell a good test from a bad test. Mm -hmm. But it's probably a good test. If it's a good lab and a, and a good test, it can tell you if the Army's called out. But if the Army's not called out, it doesn't mean that the Air Force hasn't been called out or the Marines. Mm. And it, it's unbelievable to me that our doctors are still practicing archaic allergy medicine. It's archaic. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not some revolutionary concept that just came out. But our doctors are still using tests that only look at one branch of the armed forces. Mm -hmm. It's unacceptable. If it's my child, it's unacceptable yeah. that you're looking at one branch and then you're trying to tell me that everything's okay. So the fix to that is just testing for all branches, right? Testing for all That's of correct. the armed forces. That's correct. That's why you do the wheat zoomer. Mm. Now, how do you tell a good test from a bad test? The, the technical term is sensitivity and specificity. And I'm not going to go into detail in that because it's not necessary for your listeners. But all you need to do is ask the doctor, what's the sensitivity and specificity of these tests? And the doctor will say, I don't know. They're, they're really accurate. They're really accurate. But, but well, what's, what's the percentage? Well, they're really accurate. No, 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 no. I understand. Thanks for that. But what's the percentage? Mm -hmm. Sensitivity and specificity. And they'll say, I don't know. Can you have your nurse check, please? And the nurse calls the lab representative. The lab representative doesn't know. And so then the lab rep, and so then the nurse has to say, please ask the medical director of the lab. And they don't want to tell you. They don't want to tell you that the sensitivity and specificity of most of these tests is in the 70 to 80 percentile range. Now, a 70 to 80 percentile range is pretty good. That means it's right seven to eight out of 10 times. But mm -hmm. it means it's wrong 20 to 30 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. It's wrong. Now, Mayo Clinic has written papers that there's new technology out in laboratory medicine, and they call it a new era in laboratory medicine. That's their language, a new era. And here's the way to think about it. I call it the 30-30. 30 years ago, it took a 30 by 30 room, floor to ceiling computers to generate the computing power of your iPhone. What you hold in your hand now can tell you the particulate matter in the air in New Delhi in 30 seconds. Mm. So that computing power that we have, technology has improved so much in 30 years the MIT techs 30 years ago could never have imagined they'd be holding a phone today that could do so much so quickly. No one imagined that world. A couple people did, you know, but not many. The same thing is true with laboratory medicine. 
It's a new era in laboratory medicine. And the sensitivity and specificity of these Zoomer tests, there's a dairy Zoomer, a corn Zoomer, a soy Zoomer, an egg Zoomer. The, dairy, the sensitivity and specificity is 97 to 99%. Mm. That, that's like, what? We've never seen that in laboratory medicine before. But this new technology is accurate every time, right on the money. So why would you ever do any of the old tests that can be wrong 20 to 30% of the time, and the labs don't want to tell you what their sensitivity and specificity is, but you ask the question, and, you will, and then you, you can make some intelligent decisions based on accurate information. Mm. What, what about other grains like, that are gluten-free, like rice and oats and quinoa? What are your thoughts on those things? Well, in general, those are healthier grains, safer grains. They don't create the same type of tears of the cheesecloth. Wheat, rye, and barley all create the tears of the cheesecloth. Wheat, rye, and barley. Mm -hmm. But not quinoa, not amaranth, not rice, none of those. Now, you, you can be sensitive to rice. Mm -hmm. you, you can be sensitive to corn. You, you can be sensitive to quinoa, but not the way people are to wheat. Every human has a problem with wheat. Whether you know it or not, just read the science and you see it. Every human has it every time. The problem, though, with these other grains and eating gluten-free grains, they just published a study. You know, there are many medical journals out there. The number one journal in the world of the gut is called Gastroenterology. It's the number one journal. If you get a paper published in there, that's a real coup. I mean, that means it's a really good paper, mm. and the editorial board has agreed that this is important information. Let's publish it. So the, uh, in the journal Gastroenterology, they published a paper about three months ago. They looked at 5,674 items on gluten-free menus. They had like 800 people, something like that. No, not, I don't think it was that many. I don't, I don't remember how many people it was, but a number of people, they went into restaurants with their testing equipment, little portable testing equipment, and they ordered things off the gluten-free menu. 35% of everything on the gluten-free menu has gluten in it. 53% <laughs> of gluten-free pizzas have gluten in them. Oh, my goodness. 52% of gluten-free pasta has gluten in them. So people who are trying to be gluten-free, they feel better, but they still don't feel great yet. This is probably why. <laughs> and so we put together, and I worked with two scientists on this, a total of 11 years one guy worked six years by himself, another guy five years by himself, and then the three of us together for two years to put together digestive enzymes that break down any inadvertent exposures to wheat that you get. Um, and what's really important is it's just within 60 to 90 minutes. That's a critical component because you've got to break down this stuff before it gets out of the stomach. Because mm. once, once it gets out of the stomach into the first part of the small intestine, that's where your centuries are standing guard. If anything gets out of the stomach that's not good for you, that's where the inflammation begins. That's why celiac disease is a disease of the small intestine, because that's where the inflammation starts. So if you're exposed to any inadvertent exposures to wheat, you got to break that stuff down before it comes out of the stomach. Mm -hmm. And that's the product that's called E3, the letter E, because e, there's three enzymes, E3 Advanced Plus. Mm -hmm. And that product works really, really well to 
protect people when they're going to gluten-free restaurants or ordering from a gluten-free menu. Interesting. Yeah, I've noticed I, I recently cut out gluten within the past um, couple months and just to see if I was, I mean, now knowing what I know, I've, I just should have cut it out a long time ago, but I just wanted to see if that would make me feel better. And I think it did a little bit, but I was still eating these gluten-free things and I was still um, eating like rice and oats and stuff like that. But I recently cut out all grains and I've felt tremendously better. Do you think yeah. that is a sign of I was sensitive to those things? Well, most likely, yes, one way or another. I mean, mm -hmm. when, when you feel tremendously better, you know, I mean, in the immortal words of Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, it's like, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. What does your diet look like? What does my diet look like? Well, let's see. Last night, no, two nights ago, I had gluten-free pasta mm. because I hadn't had any in a while and I was hankering for some, you know, carbs i wanted that full feeling in my stomach and you're in so italy uh-huh <laughs> right i had a seafood gluten-free pasta but i took two e3s with it mm. and and so you know i was fine yeah and uh this morning's breakfast my wife's incredible banana pancakes you take one banana and two eggs blend them together uh, heat a frying pan uh warm the frying pan a little bit of coconut oil in the frying pan that much uh, so you get the pan nice and warm. Then you put it on low heat, and then you pour, you blend that banana egg mixture together. Pour it in there low heat. Put a lid on it. Let it cook for oh five minutes, seven minutes, low heat. And you just look at it. And when the take the lid off, and when you see that the liquid egg stuff on top is just starting to gel, you flip it over, turn the heat off. Don't put the lid back on. And in about a minute, two minutes, it's done. And your kids will love it. Mm. It's such a no-brainer. It's basic, really great protein, one banana, two eggs. And I put, I put peanut butter on top of it and some strawberry jam. Mm. Uh, that's my favorite uh, uh, to do with it. And it's just delicious. Yeah. Uh, uh, lunch was, I don't know, a salad with a whole bunch of uh, – oh, no. No, lunch today was uh, – uh, chicken uh, slices of chicken, and she used a uh, uh, almond nut meal. You know, she's like mm -hmm. you know, grind almonds, and she she um, uh, coated it in almond nut meal and then fried it. So it was like chicken cutlets or something like that. With, and the, and you take cauliflower, and there's a way of doing cauliflower. I don't know how she does it, but she whips it out really quick, and it's really good. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it looks like rice, cauliflower yeah, rice. Yeah. And, and um, so we had uh, chicken cutlets, or whatever I'd call them, and cauliflower rice for mm -hmm. lunch. You but, know, it, this is this is not brown rice and sprouts. You know, you, you don't have to mm -hmm. eat weird food for yeah. the rest of your life. You just have to eat clean food. Yeah. You want a brain that works for you? Feed it properly. Mm -hmm. You want to know what the most common trigger is to inflammation in the brain? What's on the end of your fork? Yeah. You know, so it's like, wake up, world. You know, <laughs> it's like, this is not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah, I've, no one's I've, just ever showed them this stuff before. Totally. Yeah, people and people are, and I've said this before, people are just, 
they're used to functioning at 60%. So they think 60% is normal and they've never experimented with multiple weeks or months of clean eating. So they don't know the feeling of being optimized um, or, you know, enhanced. And so they're just unaware. They just think that their 60% is normal, which which sucks. But Exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's unfortunate. But uh, and, and the result is our healthcare statistics, you know, never before in the history of humanity, for the last three years now in a row, for the first time in the history of humanity, the expected lifespan of children born today is less than their parents. They're, they're going to die at an earlier age than their parents. You know, it's always been that lifespan's been getting more and more and more and more older and older and older, mm-hmm. but not now. For the last three years, it's reversed. Which, with all the medicine developments we've had with all the smoothie shops and health bars and gyms and gym memberships and Everly Well testing, it should be the opposite. Well, one would think so, at least on the surface it looks that way, but you're you're sucking air from the freeways. Mm -hmm. And and you're putting phthalates on your nails. And you're buying cheap cosmetics that are loaded with toxic chemicals that affect brain function. You know, read, read the book. Yeah. When, when, you, when you read the book, you can fix your brain. Oh, by the way, this is so overwhelming. The subtitle of the book is just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. Mm. And that's the key to success, folks. That's the key is because it's so overwhelming, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Right? You just can't. You, you, you get immobilized. So what do you do? Every Tuesday night after dinner, every Sunday morning after services, whenever, but one hour every week. That is your week to protect you and your family from the environment that you're stuck in. What does that mean? Well, one week you're going to go online or you'll, you'll go to my book and you'll pull up the pages about glass storage containers. And I give you three websites to go to. Okay, I'm going to go to mileskimble.com. Oh, yeah, there, oh, there they are. Okay, okay, I'm going to go with this one over here. Oh, the, oh I, I like those more. And then you order the you three round ones and two square ones, one for the pies, you know. This, mm-hmm. I like this color. You order them, and you pay with your credit card, hit send. You're done. It took an hour. Yeah. You're done for the week. But now you give the Tupperware containers to your husband to use out in the garage to store nails. <laughs> and now you've got glass storage containers in the kitchen, you will never poison your family again with leftover foods unintentionally that you were poisoning them mm-hmm. because the phthalates leach into the food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One hour a week, every week, one hour. And in six months, you've turned around your life exposures. Mm. That's good. I, I heard recently a podcast with, um, I can't remember her name, but she opened up a, a pretty major clinic at Stanford, and she does a ton of, I'm sure you know who she is, I just can't think of her name. It was funded, her little clinic that she's running, doing her studies and whatnot, was was funded by Sean Parker um, from from Facebook. Um, I'm pretty sure he donated like $25 million to get her uh, like food sensitivity and food allergy research done, but she was talking about... Um, how our kids, she was talking about the youth and how they're, they're developing, um, way higher rates of these food allergies and these food sensitivities. Um, and one of her suggestions, she was talking about D suggestions, things that start with the letter D. And the first one was dirt, that our kids are too clean. 
um, and that the the healthy bacteria from the dirt that absorbs through their feet when they're running outside and, and whatnot um, is good for them and establishing their gut health and just kind of um, triggering their immune response so that their immune system gets stronger. Um, the next one was dogs, ex- exposing them to dogs, the, the, the bacteria that's on the fur and the allergens that come off a dog to kind of prep their immune system. And then vitamin D3 as well, um, exposing them to sunlight and whatnot. Do, do you feel like those three things are accurate and helpful? Because I have two little kids and I have one on the way and I want to make sure that I'm setting them up for success and hopefully negating that uh, lifespan statistic, at least as it relates to them. Um, are those three things accurate? And are there any other things you'd add to that for, for establishing and setting up health for the youth? That's really a, a good question. It's a bit of a comprehensive question. And uh, um, the, the first part of the answer, what she's referring to is called the hygiene theory. And what's happened in the 1970s, it started around there and kept getting worse by the decade, is that uh, we became cleanliness freaks. And we thought it's critically important to sterilize and clean everything. When I was growing up, we had Mr. Clean, and every home has Clorox bleach to clean counters and, and all of that. Well, if you want a good bicep, if you want nice-looking biceps, you got to work your bicep muscles. you got to exercise. Mm-hmm. you got to pump some weight, right? Mm-hmm. If you want a good immune system that's going to protect you in this world, you got to work your immune system. It's the best thing in the world when your kid has a fever. There's nothing wrong with a fever of 99, 100, even 101 for a day. That his body, your body, raises the temperature in the body to kill bugs. That's what it's doing. When you get a temperature, it's not some freak act of nature. It's your body killing bugs. Mm. Because bugs, bugs in your body that got in your body can't live at 101. They get killed off. And so if your body gets uh, raises temperature, it's a good thing. You, of course, want to watch it. And then you keep in touch with the pediatrician. Or when your child's temperature hits 101, you go see the pediatrician. Just make sure everything's okay. And if it's a smart pediatrician, they'll say, let's watch it for a day or two. Or, Mrs. Patient, I'm going to write you a prescription now for an antibiotic, but don't use it yet. Let's talk tomorrow, but let's save you the time to have to come back in again. Here you go. Just keep it in case we decide to use it. And you let the child's body work its bicep. You let the child's body work its immune system, strengthening the immune system, so that when it's called upon to deal with some of the superbugs that unfortunately we all are being exposed to these days, it's got a nice developed bicep. Mm. You know, it's got a nicely developed immune system. So being in the dirt is a great concept. You bet. Kids are supposed to play in the dirt. They're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Humans are supposed to live outside. We're supposed to be grounded on the earth, you know. And, I mean, you start studying this stuff. It's extremely complicated. You start looking at biorhythms and circadian rhythms and how our bodies match with the frequency of the planet, 7.83 megahertz. Um, It's called the Schumann wave. I mean, there's, there's so much that you can learn about this. It's overwhelming. But the bottom line is walk barefoot in the grass. Not grass that's sprayed with all kinds of toxic <laughs> chemicals, you know, but walk, walk barefoot in the park, mm-hmm. uh, be outside a lot, play outside, get dirty. You know, we're all supposed to do that. And a fever of 101 or less 
is not a big deal for a day or two. It's the indiscriminate use or the overuse of antibiotics that's causing the superbugs. Yeah. You know, I think it was I think it was 1984, maybe 1986. I don't remember uh, what year it was. My practice was in Chicago, and I remember that the first child died of an antibiotic resistant bacteria in a Chicago hospital. It was the first child. Now there's 20,000 plus every year in Chicago that die from antibiotic resistant infections that we're losing because of the indiscriminate use of antibiotics or people get a prescription for 10 day antibiotics and they do it for three, they feel better and they stop. Well, the first three days, there's different categories of bad bugs. You know, there's weak, bad bugs that are bad, but they're weak. Mm -hmm. There's a little, little bit stronger bad bugs. And then there's special forces, bad bugs that'll take you down. But the special forces, just like in the army, you know, they're very limited. There's not that many of them. So when you take antibiotics, the first thing you're killing off is the weak bad guys. And if you, the majority of your bad guy infection is killed off in three days and you feel better, you stop taking the antibiotics, then what's left? The, the moderately strong and the super strong bugs that no longer are crowded out by the big army of weak bad bugs. So now these guys grow even more. You get more of the super bugs. Mm. And thus, they, they develop more antibiotic resistance. So if you get a prescription for antibiotics, and if you and your doctor decide, all right, it's time to do this, as long as you've got a doctor that is is cautious in recommending antibiotics, when they say, okay, it's time now, your child's temperature is 103, that's enough, let's drop it down, take these antibiotics. You take it for the full course. Mm. You don't stop after two days or three days because your child's better. You know, so now some of these antibiotics are for five days, some of them are for 10 days, and you don't use them indiscriminately, but if you use them, you use the full course. Gotcha. And then you've got to deal with the damage mm -hmm. that the antibiotics do because they kill off the good guys too. Yeah. And you have to, and you, so you have to learn how to replenish the good guys. In my brain master class, I've got a brain master class that's all about raising a healthy family and you know the, the environment that your family's living in. It's at the doctor.com forward slash brain master class. Mm -hmm. And when you when you go in the brain master, we talk about how do you rebuild after antibiotics. How do you build a, a healthy, good microflora uh, environment in your gut after you've taken antibiotics? Mm, I'm definitely going to check that out. What Do you have any alternatives that you would suggest prior to taking antibiotics? Because I'm super cautious of giving, especially my children. I, I never take them unless it's dire need, but I'm super cautious of giving them to my children. And my dad's a physician. My sister's a physician. So... Um, the other like two, three weeks ago, my daughter had a pretty bad earache and a and a fever of about a hundred, and we we got some antibiotics, um, and I was just super hesitant to give them to her, and I was just kind of racking my brain like, man, there there's probably a better way, but we ended up giving her the antibiotics, and I just it didn't sit well with me, and I wish I knew some other method methods um, prior. Uh, to yeah, that's really things. great. That's that's a, that's a very conscientious parent speaking right now, everyone. Mm -hmm. And you know, you you do what you have to do with the tools that you have, but you also ask questions so that 
maybe in the future you, you'll have more tools in your chest. Mm-hmm. Really good question. And absolutely, that's all in the brain masterclass because okay. there's no shot, no shotgun approach, but absolutely there's, there, there's an approach to this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. By the way, here's an old wives' tale that works really well is uh, when you're breastfeeding your baby, three months, four months old, they get an ear infection, put some breast milk in the ear <laughs> because, because the breast milk is full of immunoglobulins that kill bacteria. I mean, there's no oh, question really? it works. Oh yeah. Uh, it, That's it's awesome. not some, it's not some silly old wife. So it really mm-hmm. works, but there's a lot more that you could do. Yeah. And there's some things that we recommend every house has in their medicine chest. Why is that called a medicine chest? Mm. <laughs> How come it's not called a health chest? <laughs> it, you know, it should be a health chest. It should be stocked with things to keep your family healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes you, you need some medicine in there to keep your family healthy, but mm-hmm. not as a first um, option, rather as a last resort. Yeah. You use the natural stuff first that doesn't have the same kind of side effects, long-term side effects that the antibiotics do. Yeah. But if you need the antibiotics, you take them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be having my wife after this next baby when she pumps. I'm going to have some... Uh, some some breast milk stored frozen in the fridge for the next 10 years it sounds like that's yeah that's, there you go yeah there that's go. awesome and what about honey i've used when my daughters are sick i give them a giant teaspoon of honey in the morning and at the night and um do you think that that helps i know it has antifungal properties do you know if it has antibacterial properties as well or if that helps yes it does there's a number of studies on that showing that it is very helpful and i mean there's studies that show when you use local honey, it helps uh, for people who are dealing with hay fever mm. and allergies from their environment. Uh, you just don't give honey to somebody under a year old. Yes. Uh, there's there's concern about that. But in general, honey is a nice tool to use. It's kind of a weak one, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's beneficial. There's no downside to it. Yeah. And it certainly is beneficial, but it's not a first option uh, normally, but, um, I, I'd include it in any protocol, but I wouldn't rely on it Mm -hmm. by itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. What, what are some universal supplements, if any, that you'd recommend people consider taking just for overall health? Receptor sites are catcher smiths. Pitcher throws the ball to catcher. The way hormones get inside your cell is because there are receptor sites sitting on the outside of the cell facing the bloodstream. When you have testosterone circulating through the bloodstream, it gets sucked in by kind of like an electromagnetic pull to the testosterone receptor site. That acts as a, uh, turns the door handle, opens the door, and the testosterone goes inside the cell. Estrogen, progesterone, melatonin, serotonin, insulin, all of our hormones get inside the cells, basically, with receptor sites. There are only two receptor sites that are on every cell of your body, meaning every cell of your body needs these two hormones, every cell. One is thyroid hormone. Now, why is that? Thyroid hormone is the thermostat inside your cell that controls how hot the cell works. Hmm. Just like in your house at night in the wintertime, you set the thermostat so the temperature goes down 5 degrees or whatever um, at 11 o'clock at night. 
And then it automatically kicks up at six in the morning before everybody gets up. So the house is nice and warm, but you're saving fuel during the night. That's a thermostat. Thyroid hormone is the thermostat for every cell of your body. It's called your metabolism. And your metabolism is controlled in every cell by thyroid hormone. The next hormone and the only other hormone, as far as I know, that's on every cell of your body is vitamin D. Vitamin D receptors are on every cell of your body. Every cell of your body needs vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Vitamin D does hundreds and hundreds of different functions. It is the most important biomarker that you should check every year. Much more important than cholesterol. Much more. Now, you know, there's a whole market around cholesterol and then medications for cholesterol, the pharmaceutical industry, and there's no money in vitamin D monitoring. But you want to be healthy, you make sure you have optimal levels of vitamin D, somewhere between 50 and 75 nanograms, NG per milliliter, ML, NG slash ML, between 50 and 75. And that means your body's got plenty of vitamin D for the immune system to work, for your kidneys to work, for your brain to work, for your heart to work, for your blood vessels to work, for your gut to work, for your leg muscles to work, for your bones to work. Every cell of your body needs vitamin D. Mm. So that is the nutrient that everyone should make sure is at high levels. And the best time to test is in the spring because you've just come through a winter where there's not much sun. And Mm -hmm. so you see, well, with the vitamins, I I, I take vitamins. Oh, good. Check and see whether you took enough. And and so it's a simple test. Uh, You go to my site, thedoctor.com forward slash vitamin D, and it's a little finger prick test that you can do Awesome. Um, do you recommend taking K2 with vitamin vitamin D? I'm not even sure the mechanism there, but it, does that enhance bioavailability or why is K2 often um, involved with vitamin D? Yeah, we have two products. So we have a vitamin D with K2 and a vitamin D without, depending on what you want. Vitamin K2 helps the bones absorb vitamin D mm. and helps the blood vessels absorb vitamin D. So it has a beneficial impact on cardiovascular function and on bone health so it's a and we don't get enough vitamin k in our diet so uh, uh, it's great to take the vitamin d with k2 got you and so the the thyroid supplement that you were talking about that could one just find that on amazon or is there a specific oh, product that's, no 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 that's thyroid hormone Th- thyroid it's hormone. not a supplement it's oh not a got supplement. you and 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 your body makes thyroid hormone is there a way to and, to increase the production or check the production or what do you recommend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a simple blood test to check your thyroid function. Okay. And the things there's there's six things you want to check when you check thyroid function. You want to check T4, that is the hormone that your body makes, your thyroid makes, but you, but your cells can't use T4, it's got to be converted to T3. So you want to check T4 and T3 and you want to check free T3 how much is circulating through the bloodstream. And you want to check TPO as uh, thyroperoxidase antibodies mm. and thyroglobulin antibodies. So you, you want to check all of these okay. uh, when you're doing a thyroid screen to see how well is my thyroid working right now. Got you. Got you. Going back, jumping back just to food sensitivity real quick. Uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like the gold standard right now outside of, of testing and checking out those Zoom tests and whatnot um, is the elimination diet. Can you explain? No, that's not the gold standard. Not the gold standard. No, uh, that uh, that's historic what, what doctors thought. Mm-hmm. Well, let's put them on an elimination diet. Let's take the food out of there. Let's get them feeling better. Then tell them to eat the food again and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. And there's value in that concept. But how you feel is not the determination if a food is good for you or not. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't feel. See, the, the main problem with wheat is not what it does to your gut. For every one person with gut symptoms, there are eight who have problems with wheat that don't have gut symptoms. They've got brain symptoms or kidney symptoms or bone or gallbladder or some other part of the body. So the ratio is eight to one. And if you're determining whether a food is good for you by how your gut feels or how you feel when you eat it, you'll get it right one out of every eight times. Mm-hmm. That you, you you have to look at the blood tests. Okay. You have to look and see, are my armed forces called out trying to protect me? Mm. And, be, and because it's been so um, uh, inconsistent, doctors do... Uh, blood tests uh, to look for food sensitivities, but they're only checking IgG. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's helpful, but it's not accurate uh, for IgA, IgE, IgM. Or they're only checking IgE, and it's helpful, but it's not accurate for IgA, IgG, IgM. You know, so they, they came up with the elimination diet, and people feel better when they, everybody needs to go wheat-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. And mm-hmm. if you notice you feel much better, well, there's something there to that, right? But then, well, um, and then you start eating a little bit once in a while and you feel fine. That, see, that's the danger. Because the problem with wheat, it, when you cross the line of tolerance and you don't heal anymore in the gut, remember loss of oral tolerance, mm-hmm. when, you, when you cross the line of tolerance, these macromolecules get into your bloodstream and the immune system makes antibodies to wheat to fight these um, uh, macromolecules. The problem is called molecular mimicry. That's a primary problem. What does that mean? It means that the antibodies to wheat, depending on your genetic vulnerability, start attacking your own tissue. And you get brain antibodies, or you get thyroid antibodies, or you get heart antibodies. And you never feel it when you've got elevated antibodies killing off your brain. You don't feel it until you've killed off so much brain tissue years later. Now you've got, uh, you know, where did I put my keys? And so now you've got loss of memory. Now you've got loss of function because you've killed off so much tissue over the years because you didn't feel bad with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you think, oh, I can eat a little wheat once in a while. No, I, I feel fine. No, you can't. Because what's happening is, when you get an exposure to wheat after you've had oral tolerance, if your genetic vulnerability, 68% of everyone that comes into our office clinically comes back positive on these tests. Almost 7 out of 10 people wow. come back positive. And if they come back positive, 26% of them have elevated antibodies to the cerebellum. That's the area of your brain that controls your muscle movements. Mm-hmm. That's why most elders have to hold the railing walking up and down the stairs. They just don't feel secure anymore. It's not their muscles. It's their brain controlling their muscles. Mm. 26% of everyone, 22% of everyone with antibodies to wheat have elevated antibodies to myelin. That's the saran wrap around your nerves. 
and around your brain. That And when you get elevated antibodies to myelin, killing off your myelin, that's the mechanism of MS. So everybody that gets a little numbness and tingling once in a while in your cheek or your arms or your legs or your tongue or somewhere, you likely have myelin antibodies elevated, which may be from a sensitivity to wheat wow. or something else. Uh, so you just have to figure out where it's coming from. But that's my first book. It's called The Autoimmune Fix. It yeah. won the National Book Award. I mean, it's such that's a great amazing. book. Yeah. When, when you read that book, you understand autoimmunity and you understand how to do a deep dive to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. but, but in terms of your brain, you cannot do an elimination diet to determine what foods work and what foods don't. You'll feel better. Yeah. with an elimination diet, but you must do the blood test because that is the most accurate measure of the armed forces trying to protect you. So that's the most sensitive temperature gauge on the dashboard of your body that we've got is what is your immune system saying mm -hmm. about what's going on in your body? Mm -hmm. Just make sure it's a complete immunoglobulin test. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Zoomer panels come in. And gotcha. this laboratory, you'll see there's a bunch of Zoomers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this laboratory is really going aggressively after the market in this last year. I mean, they're, they're packaging these Zoomers. So you get like $3,500 worth of tests for about 1200 bucks. I mean, they're really trying hard. That's awesome. To yeah, and, and the wheat zoomer by itself, I think, is 350 or 400. I mean, and it's, they're, they're just remarkable tests for the information they give you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Last thing I want to talk to you about, and I appreciate your time so much, man. This has been incredible. Um, but there's there's quite a bit of hype right now, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, um, about the carnivore diet, especially as it relates to autoimmunity. People like Dr. Jordan Peterson claims that he... Um, completely cured his autoimmune um, disorders with it, that his daughter, Michaela Peterson, did the same thing. Dr. Sean Baker, who's a surgeon from Arizona, I believe, has been carnivore for like three years and is just an absolute beast. He's like 55 years old, can dunk a basketball, bench pressing like 400 pounds. But what do you think is occurring there? Does, does that seem legit to you or is it just a fancy elimination diet or what do you think is going on there? Okay, um, the food selection approach that works best for an individual is unique to that individual. Mm -hmm. The problem with uh, many of these books and these programs that are out there and these comments by experts is they think one size fits all. Uh, there's a book out called The Plant Paradox. It's a great book really good information about the world of lectins. And unfortunately, doctor, the doctor thinks that everybody needs to avoid all lectins and you're gonna feel better. Well, people tend to feel better when you avoid, avoid lectins, many people do, but you can, we've been eating lectins for thousands of years and we, we've not been eating wheat for thousands and thousands of years. So there's a difference there. Now I can get to the difference in a minute, but who should avoid lectins? Those people, when the armed forces say, you got a problem with lectins. <laughs> so you do a lectin zoomer. Yeah. And if it shows you, you got to, because it's 97 to 99% accurate every single time. And so what about, what about the paleo diet? I mean, I just came from paleo FX. Mm -hmm. I was a keynote speaker at paleo FX, the largest paleo conference in the world mm -hmm. uh, this last weekend. And uh, uh, some people, 
do fabulously on paleo diets. Some people don't. So how do you know? Well, you just, you need to check and see if these foods work well for you. Now there's a danger in paleo diets and there's a danger in keto diets. These diets are higher in fat. Mm -hmm. Good fats and good fats are good for you. Bad fats are not good for you. Bad fats are bad for you. <laughs> good fats are good for you. It's not rocket science. So don't, say fats are, <laughs> don't say fats are bad. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Bad fats are bad. Right? Water is not bad for you. Too much water and you drown. <laughs> yeah. Right? We'll kill you. So, um, right. Um, so there are good fats. Mm -hmm. And the problem with paleo and keto for some people is that when they do high-fat diets like that, good fats, really good fats, but when they do high-fat diets, they can get sicker in the long term. Mm -hmm. It's it's called uh, endotoxin, which is this crud, this gram-negative bacteria that's in our guts. It's supposed to go out with the stool. But when you get tears in the cheesecloth, when you get leaky gut, um, you can get uh, uh, these, these endotoxins is called LPS, lipopolysaccharide. LPS can get into the bloodstream. And the way that LPS gets into the bloodstream, it, it piggybacks. It jumps on the back of fat molecules and gets carried right into the bloodstream. So if you're eating high-fat diets, and if you have that sensitivity to piggybacking, the technical term, the geek term, is lipid raft transcytosis. Mm. If you are sensitive to lipid raft transcytosis, you can't do a paleo diet. You cannot do a keto diet because you're going to get sicker because mm. those LPS causes leaky brain. We, we, we haven't talked about that today, but mm -hmm. uh, as there's leaky gut, there's leaky brain. And when you get leaky brain, that crud gets into your brain, triggering inflammation, and you accelerate brain degeneration diseases. So these guys that are bench pressing 400 pounds and they're, they're monster paleo guys, if they have endotoxin being escorted into the bloodstream, give them 10 years or 20 years and they're going to be one of the statistics, one out of three uh, of our elders are dying of, of dementia. Mm. Wow. So you don't want to do that. So in general, paleo diets are healthy. In general, keto diets can be healthy, but you just have to check and see if you've got lipid raft transcytosis, if you've got uh, LPS going through the bloodstream. And those tests, by the way, are included in the wheat zoomer. They okay. package that in there to measure for leaky gut uh, in, in the wheat zoomer to make it even more attractive. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So so most likely what's going on there with with those carnivores seeing cures for their autoimmunity disorders is that it's just it works well for their individual bodies that it's not necessarily a universal fix. But for them, consuming only meat is working well. Well, it's working in their bodies because they're not eating the grains that tear mm -hmm. the cheesecloth. That's a primary reason is that uh, uh, everyone that eats wheat tears a cheesecloth every time. Yeah. And, and, and eventually you lose oral tolerance, you get leaky gut. So when you stop tearing the cheesecloth, your gut wants to heal. Every two to three days, you have a whole, whole new lining to your gut, two to three days. So it always wants to heal. So if you stop eating grains and you're grain free, then your, uh, your gut should heal. And uh, you're, you're going to feel a lot better. And yes, you do reduce the antibodies causing autoimmune disease. We, we've done it many, many times. You put people grain-free. It's called the autoimmune diet.
Mm. Uh, uh, the autoimmune diet is grain free. Gotcha. And the result is you you reduce many, many, not every time, but many times, you reduce the thyroid antibodies in Hashimoto's thyroid disease. You reduce the antibody, the celiac antibodies in celiac disease, the lupus antibodies in lupus, the rheumatoid antibodies in rheumatoid. You know, you see this again and again and again. I mean, mm. it's so they're excellent approaches. You just have to test and make sure it's safe for you. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be exploring that and hopefully getting some of those tests. This this was amazing, uh, Doctor Tom. Where where can people find you online? They can go to the dr.com, the doctor.com. Are you on Instagram or other social medias? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the dr.com, and yeah, we're on Instagram and and Facebook. I do a Facebook live every Tuesday at four o'clock Pacific, seven o'clock eastern mm-hmm. uh and it, it's always a lot of fun the topics are great yeah that's every every tuesday uh, uh but i think you know for people that want you know this, this is overwhelming you remember i started with nail polish yeah and yeah look, and <laughs> look look where we ended up in one hour mm-hmm. you know i mean this the stuff is overwhelming but that's what the brain master class is for there are 37 videos there of me in the brain master class 37 videos you just do one at a time you say, mm. okay, watch this video, and when you've implemented these things, then watch the next one. Yeah. Don't overwhelm yourself. There's no hurry here. It's going to take you six months. Mm. And in six months, you've cleaned up your house. You've cleaned up your environment. You've cleaned up your kids' diets. And, and way to go. Now, let's, let, you know, let's, let's dance together and save the planet. Mm. Awesome. And what are, what are the titles of the books that you've written as well? Oh, thank you. The first one's called The Autoimmune Fix. Mm-hmm. And the current one is "You Can Fix Your Brain." Awesome. They're both on my website, and, it, and they're also on Amazon. But if you go through my website, there's a bunch of handouts you get that you can download, and then we route you over to Amazon for it. But uh, uh, if you go through the doctor.com, there's a number of handouts you get also. Awesome. Yeah, and um, you guys have been so kind to offer a free resource PDF for the listeners as well. So um, for all the listeners, check the show notes and check out that PDF. It has all sorts of useful information regarding a lot of the things we talked about. Dr. Tom, we may have to do a part two because you were dropping some major bombs and I still have questions, but this was wonderful, you know, man. There's there's no time anymore. You know, there's no time not to drop major bombs. That's right. We have to wake up. That's right. Your kid's lifespan projected lifespan is less than yours Mm. autism is going through the roof they're estimating one kid out of two within the next 10 years will be on the autism spectrum (laughs) alzheimer's one out of three are dying now of dementia one out of three we have to wake up you cannot keep living the life that we were born into and we think is okay you can't do it it's Mm. you're you're not going to get the results you want Yep. Uh, yep. You know, the two pharmaceutical companies have shut down their Alzheimer's research centers and laid off the researchers, completely shut them down. Why? Because they've spent billions of dollars and they, they know there's never going to be a pill for Alzheimer's. What is it about Alzheimer's? Imagine you've got an old abandoned factory. The windows have been kicked out. There's gang graffiti on the inside. <laughs> There's 37 holes in the roof, and when it rains, there's puddles on the floor. That's your brain. And that's what's happening to your brain right now if you have elevated antibodies to your brain. Holes Mm -hmm. in the roof. There are 37 things that need to be fixed when you're dealing with cognitive decline. 37. My friend Dr. Dale Bredesen wrote the book on it. It's called The End of Alzheimer's. 
And when you read this book, you oh, my God, this just makes sense. That's what the Brain Masterclass is all about, is to wake people up to the things that they just didn't know. Your nail polish is taking you down. Mm. How's that for the title of a talk? Yeah, right. Your nail polish is taking you down. <laughs> what? So yeah. there's just no time anymore to not speak it in a way that uh, uh, empowers people to say, you know what? I need to learn a little more about this. So mm-hmm. my my comment is always the same when I'm on stage. It says, please come here with skepticism. Yeah. Skepticism, but not cynicism. Mm-hmm. You know, skepticism means... I'm not sure I buy this. I'm going to look into it a little more. Yeah. Cynicism means I don't buy it. I'm not wasting my time with this. Mm-hmm. So if you're skeptical and I get you to look a little more, like read the book or listen to the audio of the book, and you listen and you say, wow, that just makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you start implementing some of these principles. But we have to put some time into it. And it's so overwhelming. One hour a week is all it will take and if you have patience and persistence this is the last concept i'll give you Mm -hmm. and then we're done there was this guy 1984 barry marshall microbiologist in australia he wrote a paper and he said you know sometimes i think ulcers are caused by a bacterial infection in the stomach and his peers said what are you a nutcase (laughs) Everybody knows that ulcers are caused by too much acid. Everybody knows that. That's why you have to take antacids. And, of course, the pharmaceutical industry lobbied that to make sure that this guy was ostracized. And uh, he was shunned. And, and he was. So what did he do? He put a tube down his throat into his stomach. And he took a picture of the healthy pink tissue of his stomach. It's called an endoscopy. He then drank a beaker. A beaker of this bacteria called Heliobacter pylori, H. pylori. He waited a few weeks until he was sick as could be, (laughs) put the tube down his throat again, took a picture of his ulcerated stomach. Then he took the antibiotics to kill the bacteria, waited until he felt good again, put the tube down his stomach again to take a picture of the healthy pink tissue of his stomach. (laughs) Then he published the paper. That's dedication. Then everybody knew. And then everybody knew he, he was a nutcase. But he proved that sometimes, and now we know, almost all the time, ulcers are caused by a bacterial infection in the stomach. And it's so critically important a concept that the World Health Organization has endorsed that every medical society in the world make sure that all their practitioners know about this. Why? Because the number one cancer in the world is stomach cancer. And where does stomach cancer come from? Heliobacter infections most of the time. Wow. And so Barry Marshall didn't care. You know, he did what he had to do. 21 years later, the guy wins the Nobel Prize in physiology. And the Nobel Committee said, and this is the exact quote, who with tenacity and a prepared mind challenged prevailing dogma. Mm. Every one of you listeners need to challenge the prevailing dogma that you've been told and you didn't know uh, any different to. You just want to challenge that prevailing dogma with tenacity. What does tenacity mean? One hour a week, every week. Mm -hmm. And what's a prepared mind? Do the brain masterclass, read the books, listen to these podcasts, uh, and just keep learning a little bit more all the time. So that with tenacity 
and a prepared mind, you challenge prevailing dogma, and your kids are not going to be one of the statistics that we're seeing now coming down the pike. Yes, amen to that. One hour a week, folks. Dr. Tom, thank you so much, sir. This is this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Special thanks to King's Kaleidoscope for the instrumental used on the intro and outro of this podcast. Also, a big thanks to the good people over at Capital Floats, which is Northern California's premier sensory deprivation or float tank facility. I am a frequent user there, and I absolutely love it. And for listeners of this podcast, they're offering an exclusive deal, which is three floats for $120 or 20% off the normal price. Just go to capitalfloats.com, choose the three float intro package, and use the promo code LIFEENCHANTED with no spaces at checkout. Please remember that I am not a doctor, so definitely consult with your physician before making any sudden diet, supplement, or lifestyle changes suggested on any of these episodes. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can send an email to nick, N-I-C-K, at mylifeenchanted.com, or you can find me on Instagram at mylifeenchanted. Peace.